This is Southeast Asia Crossroads, an educational podcast from the Center for Southeast Asian Studies at Northern Illinois University. From music to maps, money and modernity, this is where ideas come together. out there. Welcome to another edition of Southeast Asia Crossroads. I'm your host, Eric Jones, and uh, we have an interesting and unique uh, set of guests and topic today. Um, maybe I'll start off inter- introducing uh, an, an old friend of the center, um, Brittany Hebler. Hey, Brittany. Hi, how are you? Good. Salamat sore. <laughs> yeah, same to you. Yeah, good afternoon. And uh, Brittany is a uh, uh, She's an associate at Gardiner Coke, uh, Weisland and Rona in, um, it's a mid-sized law firm in, in Chicago and, uh, and a graduate of, uh, <clears throat> NIU and a former, a former minor. How many, how many, uh, how many classes did you take over the center? You did Indonesian. What else did you take? I did Indonesian. I did the crosswords, crossroads class. I did a, a number of different events at the actual center. And every Friday we would have culture days where we would interact with all the Indonesian students that NIU was hosting. Did you do gamelan so, or any dancing or any of the... Uh... I did go to one of those events. So that was pretty interesting. <laughs> I think you even tried to convince me to actually participate, but I, I, I never <laughs> took you up on that offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I had I had you in class. It was it was uh, it was great. We're excited always, uh, <clears throat> not only to talk to our alums who've gone on to to bigger and better things, but um, a particular in, in in your case and your and your firm engaged with Southeast Asia and Indonesia in particular. Um, our our other guest is uh, um, Tom um, Gardner. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, now you're you're a founding partner at GKWW. Is that right? Yes, uh, we started the firm. Uh, 29 years ago. Wow. Coming up on 30. That's yes. uh, <laughs> 30 years young in the, in the firm there. And uh, how long have you been there, Brittany? I actually just started here uh, in December. So I am a new associate. I'm, I'm really excited. And Tom has been great. And everyone here has been welcoming. Well, um, we're not only interested to talk to our uh, uh, alumni and see what they're up to, but this is a particularly fascinating case. Um, as, as many of our listeners no doubt know, uh, Indonesia, unfortunately, has been um, the, the source of, of at least two tragic air crashes, Lion Air Flight 610 and Sribijaya Air Flight 182. Um, 2018 was the, uh, <clears throat> is that right, October 2018 was the Lion Air Flight crash? Right. And uh, that was the, um, you know, the infamous uh, Boeing 737. Um, and uh, the, the firm that, that Tom and Brittany are at, they um, filed a civil lawsuit at the circuit court, um, uh, Cook County, Illinois, um, a couple months. How, how long after the, the crash did, did you guys represent? Um, oh, I, I think it was probably um, about two months after the crash occurred that we filed suit in that ter- territory. Your your firm is is pretty pretty wide ranging in its in its fields of expertise. Um, how did you, um, how did you come to represent um the family of one of the pilots and and, and others in this in this lawsuit? Well, we uh, we represented the family of, of the one of the pilots, the co-pilot or first officer in this case, uh, when we were initially retained and filed the lawsuit. We came, uh, another law firm had referred 
the case to us, we've got uh, a very active injury practice uh, that includes all different types of injuries, catastrophic injury, wrongful death, litigation throughout the country. So uh, we were asked to join the litigation that way. And, and for us, that would be typical because about 80% of our work comes from other lawyers. Right. So I guess they, they say you guys have a particular expertise and they, they refer to that in that case to you. Um, one of the particular tragedies of this was that um, the pilots, for the, I guess for our listeners, the aircraft sensors engaged an anti-stall mechanism, and correct me if I'm wrong, that uh, sort of lowered the nose of the plane to, um, that was supposed to keep it, you know, on, on at the right pitch. And the pilots wrestled with that. It kept it kept recorrecting the plane, and um, and they were ultimately unsuccessful in this uh, tug of war. Um, is that a fair recounting of what uh, of what we know that happened? Yes, that is a fair recounting. It was a tug of war, and uh, ultimately the pilots lost that tug of war. But um, the system that was designed to level the plane did not work. And that, of course, has been the subject of many, many articles. And um, the suspension of the 737 MAX uh, for a long period of time. In fact, I think it was just this week that the European authorities allowed the 737 MAX 8 to uh, be flying again in Europe little bit earlier for the United States. Reporting is that more than more than two dozen times the pilots tried to fix the the auto the override is that is that right it seems like it's just a harrowing. I think that's about the uh, period of time yes and there's uh, some pretty dramatic um, information about the drop of the plane and the time period of the drop of the plane very terrifying event for people involved. How long after how long after uh, takeoff was that? Oh, it was soon after takeoff that here. this happened. It was like ten yeah. minutes or something, yeah. right? It was like um, killed uh, one hundred eighty nine passengers and crew, um, and and the you know the second deadliest um, aircraft incident in in Indonesia. So uh, so a a major event. Um, and so so you were you were referred to this by. Um, by another firm, and so um, what happened from there? How soon did you go to Indonesia? Or did, I guess you, obviously your work started before. Yeah, I, I went to Indonesia almost right away. Um, I went out and uh, met with people in Indonesia, the family, uh, and uh, learned about the incident. Got got the uh, personal side of things from the family. People got a sense of everything that was involved in the case tried to learn information from the authorities that were doing the investigation, generally doing the, the work that would uh, enable us to form a proper theory of the case and do a proper investigation. The reason that a Chicago firm is, is one of the reasons is that um, the Boeing's, one of its headquarters or part of its corporate offices are here. Is that why we filed this, the case is filed in Cook County? Right. Uh, the the headquarters for Boeing are in Chicago. They're right at the river and um, Randolph Street. And so even though originally it was a Seattle-based company and still has uh, activities in Seattle, it moved its headquarters to, the, to Chicago, oh, I don't know, maybe 10 or so years ago. 
and uh, and so yeah, and so you find yourself uh, filing there. So tell us a bit about what it was like um, going to Indonesia. How were you received? Uh, obviously, the, the family was interested in in engaging with you. What was was there official government reception? Um, you know, private public. I mean, I, I imagine that they're you know they're grieving the the loss of their fellow Indonesians, and they they're happy to have someone on board helping to to go to bat for them. What was your experience like there? Well, my experience was that um, felt so badly for people who had lost family members in this flight. Uh, it was uh, just a horrible tragedy, and so I had the opportunity to learn about the impact this had firsthand on the family and extended family, etc. Um, it was my first time to Indonesia. Since then, of course, in the course of this case, I was there a number of other times. So I got to appreciate the culture of Indonesia and the friendliness of the people and the, the humanity of the people involved. In talking to Indonesian friends of mine about the about the crash, the fact, if anything, from from Southeast Asia makes it into you know kind of a CNN or or head, you know that that tells you that it's so you you can only imagine like back in in Indonesia itself, like it is, it is wall to wall coverage and kind of a, kind of a really serious, um, you know, the, the, the news of, of the day. So I want to hear more about the, uh, about that, but, uh, sadly you're, you're here again, um, because just recently Trivijaya Air flight 182 on the 9th of January crashed, uh, also, and that was the, was that the same aircraft? No. That's not the same aircraft. That was a 737 aircraft, um, an older air- aircraft. One of the things that was unique about the 737 MAX 8 was that that was a newer aircraft, but this was an uh, aircraft that was an older aircraft. So it didn't have the same um, anti-stall or uh, sort of self-correcting? Well, um, this, uh, this aircraft that... It didn't have the um, it didn't have what the Max Eight had for the Lion Air crash, but that wasn't the focus in this case. Uh, based upon the information that we have so far, the focus has to do with the throttle here and whether the throttle got stuck, and whether the pilots then could um, correct the problem that the throttle had. So, uh, in this case, when you have that type of problem then you have to, um, um, you have problems because the anti-throttle system, or the auto-throttle, I should say, the auto-throttle system is one that deals with the relative um, power of the, to the engine. So you can have kind of an imbalance that, wor- that can occur if that isn't working properly. Now, this one was, um, from what I've read, even more like like four minutes or something it 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 immediately starts starts diving is yeah that right? I think this one uh, immediately started diving and it went into the Java Sea and uh, and obviously re- recovery efforts are are they they're still ongoing in the Srivijaya case yeah my understanding is that at least some efforts are still ongoing I they recovered one of the uh, black boxes in this case based on the news reports I've seen. But I don't know that they've recovered the second black box. And the second black box would tell us something about communications between the pilots while the flight was having this difficulty. Going back to the, to the Lion Air um, 
uh, crash. What did the recovery efforts and what were you able to what was able to be found and recovered that was unique or uh, um, compelling about the communications and from both the plane and, and the, the pilot, co-pilot themselves? Well, they, they, in Line Eric, uh, there was recovery of the black box and there were communications between the pilots. And uh, you know, so you had a sense of the event itself uh, by virtue of what was recovered. How does, uh, like, like, take us through what a sort of a civil suit in a, in a, in a situation like this, that, but that takes place in international capacity. How does how does jurisdiction handle? How does it? How does it work when um, with the things that are recovered that you need to? That kind of the, some a bit of the legal behind the music. Okay, sure. Um, how- so, so in a case like this, we filed in Cook County Court, which is basically a state court, a county court in the, for the state of Illinois in Chicago. Um, then the case was removed to federal court because there is diversity of citizenship, different citizens of different countries, different states, etc. Uh, and so it went to federal court. And then in federal court, the case proceeded. Now, in the course of these types of cases, there's obviously a governmental investigation. So in the current case, there's investigation taking place by the National Transportation Safety Committee in Indonesia. In the Lion Air case, there was also the FAA, you had international authorities involved, you had a lot of different parties looking at the issue. So, so I'm just to I guess just to interrupt. Um, so the like the the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, and and um, FAA, uh, those those are obviously American institutions. But you're saying their Indonesian counterparts were were involved in the investigation, or the Indonesian government asked them to help and aid with that, or how yeah, is that? I mean, there, kind of there's definitely an Indonesian counterpart. That's the National Transportation Safety Committee in Indonesia. So um, they would be involved, but when there's international uh, flight problems, then the FAA can be involved or the, NA, the NASB uh, would be involved. So I can't remember exactly all the agencies that were involved in the Lion Air case, but there were a number taking a look at that. And there was a report that was produced in connection with it. I, I think in the... Uh... In the Srivijaya case, I read that um, they, they had asked, the Korean government had offered, South Korean government had offered to assist with some of their special recovery boat equipment, and et cetera. So there was like, sounds like there's a, both on the investigation recovery, it's a real kind of complicated international affair that happens. Um, how, do you, how, do you, how does one approach a case like this in a, in a civil case against um, sort of a juggernaut like Boeing? Where do you start? Uh, you really start like any other case. Um, you look at um, the claims that the clients have, the family has. Uh, you evaluate those claims. You look at alternative claims that exist. You consider the theories that will support the claims. You look at um, you know, the technical aspects of, of the flight and problems that occurred at the flight. You consult an expert to provide you with information about the flight and what may have gone wrong based upon what is what information is available to you at the time. Um, so as a lawyer, you end up being fully educated on um, the information relating to the plane and the flight and the currents and the theories that took place. So, um, so you look at that, you make sure your complaint fits 
the facts and the legal theories and you file the complaint. Then after that point, there can be discovery and the case proceeds. In some of the filing that I, I that I looked through um, that, that your firm made, uh, some of it had to do with the the the, imp- the improper censors, um, but some of it was also the instructions, right? The the policy, like there there was, so I guess maybe break down some of the some of it was sort of machine error, and some of it was improper training preparation. Um, the whole how did how did that factor? Well, I mean that's an important factor. So um, it's important that the pilots have the training and knowledge to deal with different events. That's the key to pilot training, to deal with the events that occur that are not necessarily expected, but that are that the pilots are trained for so that they can respond. So if there's a problem with the training manual, if the manual is not either complete or absent in discussing uh, some of the mechanisms or how to deal with the problem if one mechanism goes out, then the absence of that is important in making the case. So you can, you know, in this case, part of the claim was that the equipment was not appropriate. And another part of the claim was that the disclosure as to how to deal with the problem with the equipment was not adequate. On the MAX 8, the, the how new was this, was this system? Had it been used on other planes? Like a bit about the history of this stall, anti-stall system. Yeah, I mean, MCAS is the uh, acronym that they gave to the system that dealt with the anti-stall feature. Um, I think with plane, it was relatively new. I can't tell you now without uh, refreshing my memory a little bit about how new it was, but it was not something that was in place for 10 years, something in a shorter period of time. It was uh, uh, believed to be an improvement. What was Boeing's response? I know there was initial grounding of 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 this plane. Um, how did they how did they respond as the as sort of time lapsed after the first liner crash? Well, there there were a whole uh, series of responses on something as important as this that had lots and lots of press coverage. Um, they even at um, you know they created a fund at one point. It was administered by Ken Feinberg. Uh, to give passengers, families, and uh, others, others that who died in the crash, their families some amount of money. Um, so kind of like um, a fund that you'll see in receiverships and things like that. And though in this case it was just intended for family members, so they did that. They had different um, public comments that were made, uh, some of which were um, intended toward the family members uh, and expressing their regret about uh, the loss of life and things of that sort. But um, Boeing had responses that occurred over a long period of time throughout the investigation of this case. And there were uh, obviously changes and things that came to light during the course of the investigation. And that kind of ran concurrent with the litigation. Your firm represented Harvino, the, the, the co-pilot, and um, I guess I'm wondering, you also represented some passengers as well? Is that No, true? we only represented in filing this case, we just represented the co-pilot, his name was Harvino. Okay. 
what I was going to ask is, I guess, it'll be sort of hypothetical. Do you think you would would the argument be different? I'm not a lawyer, only a legal historian, but uh, would would the it seems like part of your argument is that um, that that he didn't have the training that you know the it it, it dealt with pretty pilot co-pilot specific kind of crew issues are are a core part of the suit. Um, if um, would would the approach be different if you're representing a family member or or just a a passenger? on the plane as opposed to the pilot and crew, the case against Boeing? What would that well, look like? it, it, it can be different. Um, and that's because uh, there can always be claims that the pilots did not handle things properly, right? So uh, with a passenger, that's not a, an element that can be really raised in the case. They're along for the ride, right. so to speak, right? So uh, with the pilots, a common defense by a manufacturer is that it's pilot error and not manufacturer error, or it's um, it's airline error, not manufacturer error. Um, so that does come up in the Lion Air case. I think that it was um, a situation where our client uh, that we filed the complaint for was a very experienced pilot. And so um, it was not a situation where there's somebody who was uh, having a problem occur that uh, he was unprepared for. Right, right. Um, now, the, uh, in, the, in the Lion Air case, obviously it, it's early. We adjust the crash happened not, not, not long ago. And um, when you're represented in the, in the, I mean, the Sri Vijay case, it's, it's recent. Um, Obviously, word must have spread in the in liner case that uh, hey, there's this, the, the firm that's representing the I saw I, I looked uh, in the Indonesian language news and they were they they had mentioned the you guys and the um, you know and then the and the and the pilot. There's also an, there's an interesting new article um, that where the the Harvey, the family was giving. At grief counseling advice, very, very tragically to, you know, Sri Vijaya air um, uh, victims uh, and sort of telling them, sort of walking them through the grief process that they had and what their experience was. That was, that was particularly moving. Um, do you think, um, uh, do you think that, uh, uh, it, do you want to represent um, crew and uh, passengers in the Sri Vijaya case? What do you What do you hope to um, to advocate for? Well, if um, you know if people come to us, we'd consider each of the claims. I mean, we would be interested in representing pilots, uh, or we'd be interested in representing passengers. This this kind of litigation, um, I think, is very important litigation. As a lawyer, it's very fulfilling because uh, you can help to achieve a result for families that need to have some support. They're often losing very important pieces of their family from not just an emotional point of view, but from a financial point of view. So um, we kind of view this as an opportunity to help others. So we're always interested in representing people who have been injured or have suffered a wrongful death uh, because it's something that we find um, very professionally satisfying and allows us to use our skills to to help people out. Right, and it and it goes without saying that um, you know that 
it can never it can never bring a, or compensate for a family member, but they're part of the part of the seeking justice and seeking um, having. Um, I, I, w- I was reading that this can be a huge step towards that, something like a, um, um, an acknowledgement um, and some restitution made um, are important for those families. Part of what um, you know, Indonesians, um, you know, uh, vast majority Muslim, are also it's important for to uh, the graves and burial and part of the uh, part of the added. Um, um, trauma for for a lot of the Indonesian families. I was reading is that you know that they're they don't feel like they have a grave to go to. There there's they're, you know it's just this um, and so it, it seems that um, uh, that that perhaps working through some of the legal process can help them you know reconcile and you know have a put a concrete kind of um, um, sense of sense of personhood in in their family members that they were lost. What did, what did the the family members that you spoke with, um, what did they, how did they express their, um, their worries, their cares, concerns, their interests? What did they, what did they hope to achieve? Well, I think that um, there, there is kind of an element there of um, showing that the loved one was important uh, and that the loved one in the case of a pilot was not, um, someone that did anything improperly. Um, I think there's a lot right, of family right, that, honor involved in a situation like that when you, your relative is a pilot uh, involved. In right, the there, there could be mis- misplaced blame. Oh, the there pilot, can be, yeah. You know, and like I, a, I think um, and... that probably didn't take place uh, here, ultimately at least, but it, it certainly could. Right. Um, but I think... Uh, and all those culture family is so important in Indonesia. Um, and these relationships are so important. And the um, missing a family member is just devastating to, to them, as you'd see throughout the country. But I think the Indonesian families are very, very tight families. And it has a huge impact. And uh, one of the things that um, I found um, kind of interesting about this case is I had some understanding of the culture, but was able to learn more about the culture. In our law firm, we have all different types of religious um, denominations represented. So we have we have a couple Muslim lawyers. We've got Brittany who can speak Indonesian. We've got. Uh, so we have um, kind of our law firm culturally is attuned to different cultures throughout the world. Yeah, I was I was just going to um, pivot to that and ask uh, you and Brittany, like what makes your law firm particularly suited to do something like this. And I think that your, your, uh, some of your, some of your associates who are Muslim have a particular insight into some of the family's thoughts and feelings. Um, but, but also the, the obviously your previous representation, um, in the minor case, Brittany, did you, 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 when did you, you just finished law school I recently, did, right? Yes. So but, August, 2020, I am a new lawyer and one of the reasons <laughs> actually, I don't know, you can, you can ask Tom, but 
he had mentioned the Southeast Asian minor. And he's like, you have a very interesting resume. And I told him all about how I studied the Indonesian language and I learned about the culture and just how much I enjoyed my time at NIU studying Indonesia specifically. And that was kind of one of our talking points on he hired me right after that. So that's, that's a good sign. <laughs> okay, Tom. So for, for the, for the record, one thing we tell students all the time, we claim to them like, look, you're, you're, you're training in Southeast Asian language, Southeast Asian studies, uh, et cetera. We'll, we'll make you a more interesting candidate. We'll make you viable. Like, um, is that true? And how? Well, it's definitely true here because for me, when I saw that on her resume, I actually was stopped. Yeah. I was shocked. I had no idea that NIU uh, had a Southeast Asian studies program, much less when she told me she could speak Bahasa, I couldn't believe it. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is that, uh, you know, if you come into our law firm, we've got probably now about three or four pictures of Indonesia. So uh, ironically, right. we have somebody uh, working here that can speak Bahasa in the world of uh, that has Indonesian photographs on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, um, I, you know I, again I believe what we tell our students that that will work out, but it's it I, I must say it is nice to see actual real world cases where like look um, we're not we're not just whistling Dixie the the uh, people do find this um, interesting and I think. Um, you think um, your your um, your associates who have worked in um, have international training or language training or come from different back backgrounds? What what does that what does that add to you as a, um, in terms of how you're able to practice the law? What is that? What is the value added of the people who have this profile? I think there's a huge value added to it um, because you can relate to the different people if you know something about the culture, the location, et cetera. There's just a greater comfort level for a prospective client if they come in and they, and you actually can say you were in Jakarta, you were in wherever the location may be. So we actually have a number of people in our firm who have really traveled pretty widely. And um, I think that helps because we represent people uh, pretty much all over the place and of all different backgrounds. So um, I think that's just a real plus for us. We're also involved in a group called the International Practice Group that has a couple meetings a year throughout the world. And uh, so we attend those meetings with other lawyers from throughout the world as well. Um, yeah, no, we, we, I think we pride ourselves on providing not only good training, but like, I think that, that, uh, the more, um, and it's not just that it, in, in this case, it was, wow, we threaded that needle that Brittany's <laughs> studying, studied Bahasa, you know, uh, had all this training and then, it, and then it works out. Um, but I, I think just, I've seen this from my students. If they, if they're able to wrap their heads around at, at least one other culture, one other language, it, their capacity for empathy, for understanding, for thinking outside the box is that they'll be able to do that with many other incidents, uh, people, experiences. It, I think it makes their, um, their they, they can think differently, yeah. right? When no, they've, when I, they've I totally agree with that. 
every Friday in Boo Henry's Indonesian language class, we would have culture day. Shout out to yes, Patricia Henry. Patricia Henry, <laughs> Boo Henry. <laughs> and we had culture day every single Friday. And every time we would experience different ways that the Indonesian culture would do things. We're going to the market to bargain, different cuisine or food that was served, makanan. So I had a really great time, not only learning about the culture, but also the religion um, and also meeting with students that we were hosting from Southeast Asia. And we did have a lot of Indonesian students at the time when I was studying the Indonesian language. So I had the opportunity to talk with them, learn about their culture and really appreciate um, what I was learning. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and you, you'll you make a point that I love emphasizing, Brittany, is that it's not it's not just a place where we study that only people who look like me are, are talking about um, Southeast Asia, but we have a lot of Southeast Asians yeah. uh, who, who are on our campus, uh, who, who teach, who are students, who are faculty, um, staff, and um, yeah, the opportunity to actually, um, you know, rub shoulders and to, to work as, um, as, as colleagues, as mentors, as underlings to, to your Southeast Asian partners is a really huge, it's huge advantage. And, and, um, yeah, it's, a, um, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a secret that we would not, we would like to get out. Um, you know, it's a, no, well, one no, thing I from agree. a, from an employer's point of view, a lot of law students' resumes look the same. You know, they take the same classes. They're on a publication right. or not. So to me, what stands out on the resume is a, big selling factor. Right. Thanks for saying that. I mean, the um, students who who look very much the same, who were all excellent, you know, everyone is, um, you know, did 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 well as undergraduate. They did well. They performed in law school, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, you know, um, a candidate like Brittany can can do all those things. And then you've got all this other this other side um, to the to the equation that <clears throat> that's that's really unique. And so thanks for being an awesome student, Brittany. Yes, yes, I enjoyed my time there very much. And I wish I actually could have taken two more semesters of Bahasa Indonesia, but... Well, um, um, yeah, we can... I uh... have retained a lot of information, not only because it wasn't just a couple times a week, it was every single day I took Bahasa Indonesia for two years. It's intensive, yeah. It's daily. It's intensive. Um, so uh, I was I was going to ask. Speaking of your Indonesian encounters, are you not to put uh, Tom on the spot here? But uh, you know, are you uh, are you guys going to go to Indonesia? Is Brittany going to go with you to the visit and see the see the site? Uh, well, maybe we're going to have to see how the schedules work out here. And uh, <laughs> but I would like to go to Indonesia because I like being in Indonesia, and I would like to go to the site and um, talk to some people there in connection with the case. Well, I think as you learned, and, and Brittany knows as well, there it's a, an appreciative culture that face matters. Literally, showing face, giving face. It, it you know, it it is a um, it's an important that kind of um, as I, I'll try to tell students sometimes that like, yeah, you you've studied the who are in intensive programs, maybe in intensive language programs in the country in Indonesia, for example. And like, yeah, you've been in class all day, and maybe you just want to like uh, sit at home and and you know. Um, you know, browse the internet. But when, when you get invited to a wedding, when you get invited to a family event, like just go because that um, not only, not only is that going to increase your 
your your language ability, your but that that you being a person who is engaged in in that who who participates literally showing up and being there is an enormous part of the gambling. So I think that um, yeah, Tom, didn't you attend a wedding or a rehearsal? I, I attended a like a pre-wedding rehearsal dinner type thing. How was yeah, very, in Indonesia? Yes. How was the food? Great. <laughs> yeah they they love uh, they love watching they love watching a sweat when they eat. Um, yeah, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's an, it's an, it's an incredible cuisine um, and just and just um, warm people and it's uh, yeah um, I'm a I'm. I'm waxing nostalgic because we haven't been able to travel for, for coming up on a year now. And so I'm, I'm missing it myself. Um, well, if, uh, if people are interested in, in, in your, in your work, in the, um, uh, understanding that your previous work in, in the liner case or in the upcoming Sri Vijaya, um, they can go to the, you know, obviously the firm is, um, Gardner, Coke, um, Weisberg and Rona. That's GKWW law. Dot com is is that is that where they should go to what what else should uh, what sure. could we refer them to they can go to there they can call me on whatsapp um you know any number of ways to get a hold of them yeah indonesians will love the they're fans of the whatsapp you'll be uh um so yeah and i think i think your 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 contact and your firm's information is there um on on the uh gkww law is that is that right that's right yeah. yes yeah so so um yeah, if if our friends are 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 interested in 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 your body of work, go there and check it out. And I wanna um, I wanna thank you for advocating on behalf of people that I love, um, the the Indonesian peoples. Um, so, thank you, Tom. Well, thank you for having us on your show. And thanks, sure. thanks, Brittany. Terima kasih, Professor John. Yeah. <laughs> did you think? Uh, did you have any idea in law school that like? I'm going to actually might get an advocate in an Indonesian case. Did you? I had no idea, but I am so glad that I got put in a firm that actually wants to advocate on these people's behalf. So I'm very fortunate to have this experience and this um, opportunity. Well, thank you. Thank you both for sitting down with us uh, and uh, doing this important work. Um, will you check, will you check back in when, uh, when we have some answers? Sure, I'm happy to do that, and I'm yes. sure. Brittany- yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, we'll get you on a. We'll get Brittany. We'll make sure we get you on a uh, uh, a gauzy, well-produced video about uh, the success of our um, success of our graduates. <laughs> so take good footage when you're in Indonesia. <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. For for right. for Crossroads, I've been Eric Jones. We'll uh, we'll see you later. Bye, everybody. Sampai jumpa. <laughs>